you from Sarah's back patio. This is our this is our all fresco edition of <laughs> the Clear Eyes Full Shells podcast. Seriously, it kind of feels like fancy because we're you know it is fancy like we're on location or something. Yeah, <laughs> we're such dorks. <laughs> anyway, and we wanted to talk um, in this episode a bit more as a follow up of our um, conversation with Nafisa that lasted a couple of episodes. That was so great. She's wonderful. She's so cool. It, was, it lasted a long time because it was awesome. Yeah, because she's so great. And um, and also just, um, I went. I had the chance to go to BEA last month. That's Book Expo America, for those of you who don't speak in acronyms. And, um, well, seriously, it's so annoying how we all like speak in acronyms all the time. Who doesn't speak in acronyms <sighs> these days? I know. And, um, you know, just some things I saw um, there and... Just just some sort of general book chat, I guess, that we, we have some things we'd like to say. That should be the name of our episode. We have some things we'd, <laughs> things like, to we'd like to say. Um, and because also, you know, we had some interesting feedback from those last couple episodes, and I think it's worthwhile to kind of continue, continue that conversation because it's always good to be more clear with your thinking, right? Yes. All right. And I just finished dumping half a bottle of beer on myself, so just to make everything more exciting. That was just... I finished a whole one. <laughs> so, um, anyway. So, should I start to tell you a little bit about what I saw at BEA? Yeah, go for it. So, this is actually kind of following up on our conversation we had with that last podcast, like I said. And what I um, saw at BEA was really interesting and really hit home for me, in a sense I'd wish I'd gone to BEA before we had done that podcast, was um, how homogenous the publishing industry is, and particularly the people who are buying and selling books. And I think one of the things that we tend to forget as readers is that publishers don't see readers as the as their customer. They see um, Barnes & Noble as their customer. They see Amazon as their customer. They see... Um, you know, bookstores as our customers, but they don't see, you know, you and me. And yeah, I mean, I think that's really, I mean, it's really clear at, um, BEA that that's obviously their customer. It's not a reader focused, um, event. So it is an industry event and BookCon, which is a reader focused event is growing and growing and growing. But at the same time, um, definitely the core of the industry is still that, um, uh, business to business marketing and sales. And, um, I think it, for me, cause I've always sort of wondered, like, not just like in terms of like diversity in terms of representation, but just the, the sort of, there isn't, it's hard to find fresh, new and different books in general. I think that's I always, that. that's, I mean, something I'm always wanting to find something that's like, wow, I haven't read this before. Mm -hmm. And while I know, I mean, you know, if we want to talk about literary structure, there's only like what, seven different types of stories or something right. like that. But you know, a different, really different point of view or, you know, a different type of character or, and I think that's why when we, you know, we do find something that's really fresh and different. It's so exciting. And when I, being at BEA and I'd gone to book events before, but not one as huge as that one. Um, it really hammered, um, it really hammered for me that there's, the point of view in publishing is very, very homogenous. Mm -hmm. As a general rule, obviously there are exceptions. There are editors who do amazing things. There are publicists who do amazing things. There are book cover designers who do amazing things. 
but there is this, there's a lot of the same sort of book at every publisher's booth. There's a lot of the, I mean, even like, it's weird. Like even everyone kind of dresses alike. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's this kind of very, I don't know the right word, but homogenous. homogenous. I mean, I guess it's the best one. I mean, it's really, and everything is marketed as the next X, which I mean, I kind of understand in a sense because it makes the the marketing easy Mm -hmm. and I get that. Um, but on the other hand, I think that also is sort of a self, self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, the next fangirl, the next, you know, John Green book, the next, yeah. you know, it's very, um, it's really keeping us sort of like myopic. In a bubble. Yeah. Where it's like, you can't see beyond, well, it's, you know, not this is the next da-da-da, but oh, here's this completely new and different thing. It's but, really interesting. I mean, and even we talk about, you know, BloggerCon, which I have a lot of things to say about, and I don't know if I should or not, so it seems to ruffle some feathers when I talk about that particular event. Um, <laughs> and, but like that, again, you know, is very, I mean, even in, it was largely YA bloggers, you know, largely similar age demographics, you know, all of, it was and I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, although I don't fit into the age demographic, I'm older than most of those people. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I guess I'm part of the problem, but, you know, I'm not a YA blogger and I'm older than most everyone. But it is just very, it's like this loop of like the same people marketing the same thing and talking about the same thing over. And it's like, this isn't even really about readers. It's like this whole publishing ecosystem all being, feeling like it's very much the same. Right. And, and I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it does make sense, but it's just like a continuous loop. And I think that when you talk about diversity and representation in the book industry, I feel like uh, a lot of responsibility is heaped on the readers. Yeah, saying, it is. Oh, the reader. The reader doesn't. If the readers buy enough of these diverse books, then the publishers will publish them. But that's based not on true. What, what you're telling me, that doesn't seem to be I true mean, because, because they don't actually care about the individual reader. No, they care about the Barnes and Noble. The guy at Barnes and Noble is just like them. Yeah, and that's that's so what it comes down to. What so. is it going to take to actual change the Barnes and, so and Noble got, buyer is what you need to do. It's right. not about and. That's not to say I don't think that readers trying to read as diversely as I can is not valuable. No, it's incredibly valuable. But um, in terms of shifting the publishing ecosystem, right? It's those are little tiny steps, and yeah. I, that's you know I think it takes you know like publishers saying to you know this random dude who seems to make all the decisions at Barnes and Noble that no these are the covers we're putting out. These are our, these are our titles. These are, yeah. I mean, there's. And when it comes to diversity too, it seems like a lot of the people in the publishing ecosystem, like the buyer at Barnes and Noble and the publishers, they have, they want the same kind of diverse books. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I understand what you're saying. But that's a really big issue because there's a much wider range of what people experience that could be represented in books that is not ever going to be represented because these people have all this control. Because those books get labeled as a tough sale. 
because they're not. Yeah. Because they're not this. They're not the same. Ah, we're having a bee attack. <laughs> um, they're not the same as everything else that they sell every season. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really unfair that so much of the responsibility gets heaped on readers, actually, to the point where readers do feel responsible for this issue. They're just like, oh, if I just read more diverse books, I will help make a change. And, like I and said, it's true. I, I mean, think it's a good thing that people are buying and trying to read books that represent all, all of all the human spectrum, right? In a way that reflects our world in a more accurate manner, because right now, what's on the bookshelves doesn't really do that. No, uh, but at the same time, it's like it's more that these the readers more have to influence. It's not fair to like make these readers feel responsible when it's really the buyer at Barnes and Noble who's responsible. Well, and, and and if you look at the sheer numbers, you look at how many books. I mean, we're going to pick on Barnes and Noble because they're like the only bookstore chain left. And right, that, but the thing but is, is that but they're, they're a really important. One they're really important. That one person at Barnes and Noble who has so much control and power. And like, you can Barnes and Noble is where people. I mean, honestly, it functions as a showroom for a lot of people who don't actually buy books at Barnes and Noble. So it's reaching more people than even Barnes and Noble's customers. Yeah, because people go to Barnes and Noble, see what's on the shelf, and then order those books online. And you know, but if you look at like how many, so I just googled really quickly what. Um, the average number of books bought per year and only 11% of people in America buy more than 20 books a year. And so like you look at, you start looking at those numbers and like putting it on the individual reader is like, it's like the slowest, it's like the slowest way to affect change because if that person's buying 20, if a really, you know, if a small minority of people are buying 20 books or more a year, right. that's still not going to make, statistically speaking, a substantial shift in numbers. But if Barnes & Noble says, you know what, we are going to make a concerted effort to put a broader spectrum of books on our shelves that more accurately reflect America, that will change what those people are buying. Right. And that's and that'll really change what the people who are buying five or six books are um, are are buying and that's yeah. I mean that's where the change is uh yeah. but there should be more more of the onus I guess is that the right word that I want to use like the yeah. onus of making a change and having books that represent our world more accurately um it's really more on the publishers and I feel like the publishers are constantly trying to deflect Shift it. it onto the reader. I think because and I they're... think that is completely and horribly unfair. I mean if we're gonna and be... to the point where these readers feel like they are responsible. They do. And it's like know? it's the same I mean, you can even you know, zoom zoom out more broadly and you know, there's you know, that dialogue that especially happens in the YA community where it's like well, you know, X book, X series probably isn't going to be continued. It's your responsibility to go buy these books to help make sure that the series gets continued. And it's like, well, sales are obviously really important, but why were the sales bad? Well, maybe the book sucked, but also maybe it got no marketing support. Yeah. And so it's like, again, constantly shifting this burden onto readers when, when you look at, you know, the ripple, I don't know, it wouldn't be ripple effects, it's the opposite of a ripple effect. <laughs> What would that be? I don't know. It's sort of the, readers are part of the sort of wake of the publishing ship or what have you. Yeah. Another bad metaphor. But it's, 
again, that's like the last person that really can affect change. Right. And so I'm not saying it's not that it's not important because I think it is. And I, I feel like there's been some misunderstanding somehow Laura and I feel are saying that it's not important what readers do and what they buy because it, that's not true. But it's, it's ridiculous to put that on readers. Yeah. I mean, it's the same reason that I get kind of bristly about, um, you know, Kickstarters for books and people think I'm a jerk because I don't like. Actually, honestly, I have issues with Kickstarters but in general. You don't I can support talk, books and authors. I can talk Sarah, about. I can talk about saying? my issue with Kickstarters as a as a funding model forever. We can have a whole podcast. But I don't think people want to hear my thoughts on it because it's really it has nothing to do. Because I really believe in paying artists, and that's actually one of the reasons I think Kickstarters as a funding model is not sustainable. And people get really bent out of shape about that. Um, but again, like those sorts of models really shift it on all the risk onto the readers and it's like well again like the end consumer is in a sense kind of the least important person in the whole chain of the creation of a work i mean they're important obviously because they're the ones who buy the books that then fund the publishing houses but i don't know yeah like i don't you do you read john scalzi's blog at all okay so i don't always agree with what he says but i think that he's very smart and he what he writes is well thought out even if i don't agree with it right um, and one of the things that I've always found really interesting that what he says, because he has a huge audience. In, massive. And uh, his books are always on bestseller they lists. Well. They're always winning Hugo I read awards. a really interesting thing. His backlist sells even better than his new books. I'm not surprised. They sell immensely well. I'm not surprised. That's why they his publisher did that huge... 10 year deal right, with him. because he's got a backlist that will it's keep them like, going for the ages. Key, it yeah. like sells like hotcakes. Yeah. But like one of the things that he always talks about, he talks about this pretty frequently is when people are just like, why don't you just self publish and you can keep all the money for yourself? And he's like, well, I really value what my publisher does for me. Right. My publisher takes care of a lot of things that I don't want to do. Like they do my marketing, they do my book and distribution is one of those authors that is probably pretty powerful and gets a lot of sway that a lot of authors don't get as far as marketing, book cover design, things like that. But at the same time, his publisher is taking care of a lot of these things. Um, So when you get to representation and things like that, these are things that publishers are not necessarily putting into book representation and diverse books. No. Right? No. Like, what if they were doing that? Maybe they would find more of an audience. Well, that's what we said in the last But, like, I mean, John Scalzi is always very, very, um... He's always crediting his publisher. He credits his publishers for a lot of his success. And it's not that he doesn't value his readers. No, because it's obvious He does value his readers very much. But at the same time, his publisher he understands made that sure his publisher that is responsible get... for finding his readers. Right. And reaching out to his readers. It's not just him writing the books. It's his publisher. Um, and the publisher is just... Just his readers. His publisher does a lot of things that have helped fuel his success. Well, and I feel like we're almost in this conversation. I feel like we're constantly in these conversations, like almost letting the publishers off the hook. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like it just keeps coming back to them. And I just, I mean, I mean, well, yeah, because and it should because the thing is, is that so like in the last podcast we were talking about that hello I love you book, right? Which you know a lot of the reviews coming out about it are 
not good. No. And they're basically about how it's insensitive, culturally insensitive, and flat out racist, um, extremely ethnocentric. Uh, what was the thing Kirkus said about it? It was amazing. It was like a line. It was basically about. Like it was, it was like, like flabbergastingly racist. It was or yeah, it was like it was like lines. so. It was like the dis- issue is is that a lot of people are like, ooh, a book that takes place in Korea that centers around K-pop. That's a diverse book, and it's not a good example of representation because it's very insulting to Koreans and the Korean culture all the way around. And the problem is is that the publisher should bear a lot of the responsibility for that because writers have something called editors and Mm -hmm. if you don't have if you have an editor that is not knowledgeable about these things then they would not have a way of knowing (laughs) that this book is going to offend a lot of people because they would be like they would be if they're on the same if everybody in the publishing world is on the same wavelength as each other then they have no way of knowing that this person on a different wavelength is going to be really insulted by this that is a really big problem, and the publishers are responsible for that. They are. I mean... And not just that they should be. They are. They are. That publisher is responsible for putting out a book that is offending Saint, a lot of fucking Saint people Martin's, out there. I'm sorry, Saint I'm Mike, really mad about this. No, that's St. Martin's Griffin, and the same book that put out, same publisher that put out Eleanor and Park, there, I know there's one other that they put out yeah. that's been similarly problematic. And they're not the only one, but there's been, it, this is, should not be news to them, yeah. is what I'm saying. I mean, and there but are they're, also they're, the big business buyers, like at Barnes & Noble, yeah. would be like, you know, this book seems to have a lot of offensive and, things in it. Maybe we shouldn't buy it. Yeah. You know and what I mean? But nobody ever. is doing that because they all think the same thing. They, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like, it's not even on their radar. And yeah. that's where the, the problem is in the system. And it's just so... Frustrating. I mean, this should not be news to St. Martin's Griffin that people are criticizing this title, and yet the readers are not being heard. And I really believe that's what it is, mm-hmm. is that, like, probably they've heard that there's some people that had a problem with Eleanor and Park. Super sensitive but what they saw Asian-Americans yeah. who are such a tiny, tiny minority But what country, they saw was that, that that other book hit the bestseller list. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, we don't have to listen to the to these criticisms because that book hit the bestseller list. We can just keep sort of having our heads in the ground and not paying attention. And that's what I think is the problem is that, again, it's like readers who have every right to complain about that book because it affected them personally are not heard. Yeah. And so that's where it's like, I'm not trying to be fatalistic or whatever, but that's where, you know, again, constantly putting that back on the readers is bullshit. It's disingenuous because they don't really care. Yeah. They only like, they only use it. It's bullshit that they will not take any responsibility. At all. Yeah, and they only care about readers when they're a convenient yeah, excuse. Yeah, and they're not taking responsibility for the fact that uh, better representation, books that better represent people are not being published. When, obviously, and it's when their they fault are, because they're the publisher. And when they are, they don't put marketing dollars behind yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, they, it's obvious they put some marketing dollars behind that. That yeah. Hello, I Love You book. There's been, a you know, an extensive you know, blog tour for it. I know I've seen advertising for it. I'm pretty sure I've seen Goodreads advertising for it, which is not cheap. That is very expensive advertising. So... I mean, I just can't think of very many books that have had support. Like, I don't know, like, Sherman Alexie's book did really well, but I don't know if that was a before uh, or after thing. Like, did the publisher care about it before, or did they care after it won a book award? 
Do you know what I mean? And Probably they were like, after oh. it won. I mean, I don't know, but... Which, is, I mean, and I think that book is an extremely I good example of representation. Jenny Han's so. last two books, her, um, To All the Boys I've Loved Before and P.S. I Still Love You, yeah. um, which I'm reading right now. Before I yeah. read, like, half of it last night. Um, they put some money into marketing those books. Yeah. And that was Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of some others, and I'm yeah. drawing a blank. I mean, I don't know all of the marketing for every book ever. Yeah. But, I mean, you do kind of notice what ones are getting a bait. Oh, the Sabra Tahir book, the, um, of Ember and Ashes. Oh, yeah, yeah. They put some, that was Penguin. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Um, I haven't read it yet, but. But that's, I don't think it was particularly highlighted that it was a diverse Is it more book of a fantasy by, book? It's more of a fantasy. Okay, yeah. By, uh, you know, by, a. Uh, you know, by a non-white author, I don't think I've seen that in any of the marketing. Mm-hmm. So, that did very well. Um, but I'm not... There's got to be more. David Levithane's books, maybe? Mm-hmm. But he's a publishing insider. I yeah. Mean, he's a big editor. He I mean, is. he's a very influential, important editor. So, I mean, I don't think his are really necessarily the best ones to use an example mm-hmm. because he comes at publishing from a different place. Yeah. And not to say that it's not important that his books are supported and do well. Yeah. Um, but that it's, I think it's an it's outlier. It's hard to get your foot in the door and his foot, he was in, he was, he in was the like, already. I mean, it's not just that his foot was in the door, his whole no, body was. No, he's really you know important. I mean? He's Maggie so. Stiefvater's editor. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's edited a lot of really important books over the years. Mm-hmm. And he's a really important influence in um, YA lit in particular, and mm-hmm. I don't think we want to discount his influence because I oh, think right. it's actually, no, I mean, I think I'm he's a huge advocate for change and he changes things from the inside. But like when we can literally only think of him as someone who's <laughs> really, I mean, you don't see like, what's her name? The really influential editor at Penguin really advocating for, uh, Julie Strauss Gable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are things that are real problems. Yeah. Um, and people who have the power to really make change. And, you know, when we can kind of only point at yeah. David Levithan. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if it's that these people think that, like what you were saying with Eleanor and Park, was that that book hit the bestseller list, right? Right, so, so it doesn't matter. do the people who had issues with it were just such a small number that this small number of people doesn't matter to them, even if they were really offended? I think that's is what that they think. Is that how they feel about it? Well, that fucking sucks. That's it does. Bullshit. It is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it is. I mean, it's really, I mean, it But takes... it just also just shows, it just shows your point, which is that the readers don't matter to these people. No. I think that's, I mean, I think that's Because if the readers matter to these people, because then they would take what these readers have to say into consideration, yeah. and they don't. They would be like, oh, wow, we need to next time yeah. we acquire a book featuring Asian characters, we need to, yeah. written by someone who is not Asian, we need to think about, Yeah. we need to maybe ask someone yeah. what well, they and the think. Well, and I think that you notice sometimes in, when I remember there was an episode of, let's see, How I Met Your Mother. Where all the, I don't know what they were thinking, why they decided to do this, but they did this thing where, and I don't know what they were thinking, but they basically, the whole cast dressed up in yellow face, and they had like a yellow face episode, and people were really upset about it, and then the creator ended up apologizing, kind of, I don't, I think it was kind of a half-assed apology, but he did kind of acknowledge it. And be like, well, I'm really sorry you guys 
we didn't intend to offend somebody. But you know, not uh, when, when I th- I know I know, uh, but I know I know. Like at least and you know what? But at least he said he was sorry. He acknowledged. Yeah. People being upset about it. Yeah. When has the publishing industry ever Never. done anything? Maybe like they that? have. I don't know. Ever. I mean, like seriously, like there are people who are like, this book well, is fucking racist. Publishers, radio silence, well, nothing. It's like no one in the publishing industry is taking any responsibility for this. Nothing. Well, the it's, radio it's silence. Like when all you the know way. that book came out about. Um, oh gosh, they can't even be the like, one, we're sorry to the small amount of people who are offended by this book that we published that we're backing with. The all our one money. book that came out this year about. Outrage culture. Um, I'm just spacing on the name of it. Um, there was a line in the review copies that went out that compared the trauma of job loss for men to the trauma of rape for women. So anyway, in the review yeah, copy, so he like made that comparison. Yeah, no, that's and not a good comparison. The crazy, really, really terrible comparison, like really bad judgment, and someone clearly realized <sighs> that it was a bad, that it was bad. And so in the final copies of the book that was taken out, but people still got copies, reviewers got copies of that book. And the pushback, and the crazy thing that happened was when, you know, there was pushback about in the review copies that this was in there. Um, the pushback was, well, you should have quoted from a review copy. Not, I mean, right? And I feel like that's constantly, like, whenever there's that kind of criticism, it's like, it always the well, sort of the, the, like, the responsibility somehow gets pushed back on the critiquer. And well, sometimes, the honestly, point, there's the sh- whole point of sending out those review copies so that errors can be fixed and things like that can be pointed out ahead of time. Isn't that why they do like early movie screenings and early review copies of books? Isn't that the whole point? But the readers aren't supposed to point that shit well, out. In do any, they think it would be better if that had ended up in the finished well, copy? in any arcs, there is this disclaimer that you're not supposed to quote from a book, from the from the review copy pages, that you're supposed to check it against, any quotes against the final book copy. And so I guess their argument was that um, it should, that they should have checked it against the final book copy, and if it wasn't in there, it shouldn't have been part of the consideration. But the reality is, like, it was in there at one point, and it's important to point out when people say problematic things like that. Yeah, like, I mean, are they just supposed to, like, email the publisher? Or, and like, be, I mean, it just that sounds And be more... like, before I get upset about this... And I think that was the argument, was that basically, like... It sounds more and more like the publisher just don't want to take any responsibility for this. I don't all. think they do. And, and it, I mean, I mean... It's really I, sad. I mean, I think there are... Thought, uh, there's, like, what, Lee and Lowe books? Like there are... And, yeah, Lee and Lowe and two. They're, like, the only... Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. two and Lee and Lowe And there's are, another one. I mean, isn't there, two like... An imprint of Lee and Lowe? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And then they but they have, they're the ones that are doing the diversity internship and... Yeah, they're like doing that, all so. of that. So, and they're a small... But they're like the only one. They're a small publisher. Yeah. And if we look at these, you know, the if big publishers... The big five or Some six of them, or however many, many there are now, aren't there like maybe only four now? Who knows? I don't, I don't know. know. I can't keep track of all their Well, readers. and we look, you know, and then we look at, you know, the... Even the imprints in at those mainstream publishers that do actually publish a diverse range of books. They don't get the marketing support mm-hmm. that the, like, quote-unquote mainstream imprints yeah. do. So basically, and where are the publishers? In this What question? are they doing? 
what kind of responsibility are they taking when it comes to representation in books? Because right now it sounds like Jack And maybe they're doing a whole lot and we don't know about it. I mean, that's, I mean, mean, I'm not going to, maybe they are having meetings and, you know, I mean, from my perspective over here as a little reader who doesn't get heard, it looks like they're doing Jack shit. Yeah, that they're not listening. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, St. Martin's Griffin, who publishes many books I like. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. So I'm not saying that they're bad at their jobs, but they're bad at one element of what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, because they probably saw the criticism and decided that it wasn't worth their time. Yeah. And that's, it's like, to me, it's like, well, then that tells me all yeah. I need to know. And, like, the thing is, is that with the whole, the way self-publishing is kind of, kind of rising, I don't really know if it really is, but, like, the way self-publishing is kind of becoming a thing where, like, a big thing that publishers are saying to push back against it is to be, like, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, we, we do. we're positioned as the gatekeepers to make sure you readers get the quality books that you deserve. Yeah. Well, you know like, what? Well, I'm not getting all the quality books no. that I deserve. You guys aren't doing your fucking jobs right now. Get with it. You know, like, true. I mean, you I guys mean, kind of do your jobs in some ways because there are, I mean, obviously I read a lot and there's a lot of books out there that I like to read, but like when it comes to representation, you guys aren't doing your jobs. I mean, and I saw, I mean, like, honestly, like I spent, you know, however many days at VEA and like I walked around a lot cause I didn't wait in as many lines as some people do. And I kind of just walked around sort of like, I like to observe things and see what's going on. Yeah. And like the people that they had sitting at those signing tables all kind of looked the same. Yeah. And that's not to say that they didn't have, you know, an identity beyond just what I could see at a glance. Yeah. Because that's not fair or reasonable for me to say. But I am saying that they're, they all kind of looked the same. And the people who were, you know, running the publicity for those signings all kind of looked the same. Yeah. And that's a problem. Like, they're making choices at every step of the way. Yeah. And as readers, I mean, and they're, we they're, can't fight that. Yeah. I mean, their choices are influencing what people read. It's they're not in- just the readers that are determined, you know. I mean, word of mouth can get a book going sometimes. Yeah. Like, but it that's got, I mean, like, it was you like, know, that's, that's kind of the outlier. I mean, like, Anna and the, an the French Kiss kind of, was really, you know? like, that, that was a mid-list, not a big book when it came out. And yeah. that was a word of mouth book that, right book, right time thing you know yeah. really I mean that's but that's so really really rare. rare you know I mean and I think it's awesome when it happens and that was in, but it's still really rare it was what know? 2010 2011 yeah. I mean that was some time ago yeah my god we're getting old shh <laughs> <laughs> anyway you're really good at that <laughs> Um, anyway, it's just, it's distressing and frustrating. Honestly, it's frustrating. I mean, it, I mean, and I feel like there's been a lot of conversation about this online. There's been, um, you know, the, we need diverse books that's spearheaded by Ellen Ho and, and there's a lot of really amazing people involved with that. They're doing her. There's the, uh, Lamar Giles. Lamar Giles. He's a big um, part of it. Mike, um. Jeez. What did he write? I can picture his, he writes middle grade, I can picture his Twitter avatar. Mike Lupica? No, Mike, uh, anyway, not important. Middle grade author who's really involved in that. We need yeah. the first book. There's some really, really awesome there's people been who really, are doing. And there's been a really great conversations, but I think sometimes we forget, like, people who are involved in book blogging, um, that 
we are heavy readers and we are the outlier. And our conversations about these things, they're not necessarily reaching the general populace. These aren't things that, like, the general populace is talking about or thinking about, you know, so... I mean, I think it's great that these conversations are happening, but I feel like they're maybe not as broad as some people think they are. I think that based I think on there's how definitely, people, you know what I mean? It's like there's sort of two book worlds. Like there's, yeah. because even like at BEA talking, because there's one of the things that they have at BEA is people who are um, like book club leaders can mm-hmm. get BEA badge, badges. And so but those people are really involved and they're very like, small in-person book communities Uh so they're not involved in the online community and like the books that they've heard about are very different than the books that the online folks have heard about the um, issues that they've heard about very different from what so there's these disconnects where if you're active online you think that you know you get the perception i do it too that something is a big deal or something's oversaturated or everyone's heard about this and i think that that actually a lot of times it's everyone You know, I mean, yeah, because I have to think about the fact that I have set my Twitter feed to read about certain things that I want to read about. Like, I follow certain people with certain perspectives. And, you know, I'm not, you know, when I'm on Twitter, I'm not getting this just this general blitz of everything that's going on. You know what I mean? So... It's kind of a, you know, and I think these, like I said, I think these conversations are awesome. I think the fact that they're happening is awesome. I think the We Need Diverse Books push is awesome. But it's still not, like, broad. Right. You know. And I just, I remember seeing on my Twitter feed, I think it was yesterday, an author talking about how he was supposed to be on a panel. And the, the conference decided to add a diversity panel. So they pulled him off of his panel that he was supposed to be on. To put him on the diversity panel. So it's again, like, even the conversation about diversity that are happening in Insiders is also kind of, it's yeah. not, it's not, it's not sort of, but, so this it's person not seeping, who belonged on this, he was a diverse, he, somebody yeah. who is about representation can't be on this other panel? Right. Like, what the shit is like, that? Like, it's not you seeping, know? it's like, still not seeping, it's sort of, it's sitting as this sort of thing off by itself it's not seeping into all of the conversations yeah and it's like why you know like things like the we need diverse books panel at like book con are really important but it's also really important to talk about that stuff well it's also important to have representation on all the panels which is not happening which is not happening and i will tell you it is not happening like it you know i mean obviously i'm part of the problem you know because i was a white girl on a panel at um blogger con but, like, you know, it is not happening at book events. It is not. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, the mo, the, by far the most diverse panel I went to at BEA was the graphic novel panel. Yeah. By far. Like, and honestly, in terms of what was on display, by far the most diverse displays yeah. came from the graphic novel publishers. Like, no contest. At all. I mean, there's just, I mean, nothing was as close. But... Everything else, it was not. So, I don't know. Yeah, BEA I mean, was it's really, really a shame because I feel like a lot of the bloggers that um, that I ha- associate with online and stuff like that, um, a lot of them are, you know, Nafiza uh, from Indo Fiji, Canadian. You know, there's. I mean, I feel like a lot of the bloggers who are really enthusiastic about reading and about books are people 
who are not being represented. Yeah. Kirtana, and, who writes, um... Kirtana, just, uh, Raquel well, of the Book Barbies, yeah. you know. These are, I mean, these are awesome women. Yeah. That aren't being who represented. Who are, like, so enthusiastic about books, and they're, yeah, like, not being represented at all. And so it's like, what more can people do? I yeah. Mean, that I is, mean, they are out there buying books. Lots and lots of books. But, like, the books that represent them aren't there. They can't buy what, what is there. not there. You know what I mean? So, what more can the reader do? It's, like, it's on the publisher to, like, publish something that represents them so that maybe then they can just be like, well, I'm going to buy that and I'm going to tell my other readers about it. The readers of my blog about it. And hopefully, you know, the word of mouth will spread or something. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's that's not happening. Yeah, I mean, if there's, if the I mean, I think it's there. kind of slowly happening a little more, but not so much. God, we sound know? really negative. No, I think we're just pissed off I think about so. this one issue. It is. It's just, it's very frustrating, and I feel like it's like we're spinning in circles with the dialogue around it, and yeah. that's, you know, we got some... Push- I think it's really frustrating. I mean, just like... And I think it's going to be frustrating also, like, honestly, if you're a reader who's sitting there saying, like, well, I'm trying to do what I'm, what, I'm trying to make things better, and... But it sucks that that's been put on readers. Yeah, and just, like, I feel like in this kind of situation where, like, you keep trying to do all these little things that do everything that you can, read all these books, participate in all these challenges and whatnot, and you see nothing changing, eventually you just kind of give up, right? Isn't that what a lot of people do? Like, they're just like, whatever, it's not making a difference, why bother? It's it's frustrating, and it's disenfranchising, and, I mean, maybe publishing is okay with that. I don't know. Mike Yoon. Huh? Mike Yoon. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Sorry. Just came to me. Oh, and there's Lamar Alexander also. That's another one that I really like who's involved in We Need Diverse Books. FYI, his books are awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, it's just like, things like this just don't get heard at all, you know, just and like I said, I mean, maybe there are like people... Like, Eleanor Park is getting turned into a movie, and like Rainbow Rowell is writing the screenplay. It's like, oh, okay, like, so I mean, obviously, people do not care about the fact that, I mean, these people, the publishers, the movie people, nobody Agents, cares about no one the fact cares. that a lot of people are really offended. They don't care. She doesn't care. She doesn't care either. I obviously, mean, she doesn't it's care. clear she doesn't care. She wrote that <laughs> super defensive blog post, <laughs> and she tweeted about how we need diverse books so there can be more characters like Park. And it's just the exact opposite of what we're... We have a litany of complaints. Yes, we do. At this point, I feel like I'm kind of picking on Rainbow Rowell, and that's not my intention. It's just... I just think it's an example that's easy. It's an easy example, and I think it's a high-profile example. And yeah. I know... I think it. I think it's an example that's represents a lot of our issues it's like a microcosm it really is and i just feel like to me it's so disheartening you know what year did eleanor and park come out was that three years ago yeah i think so and it's so disheartening to see this cycle just keep going Mm -hmm. and that nothing has been learned and i will tell you i still frequently delete comments from people who are pissed off that laura wrote something negative about that stupid book and you know i it's just and I still see links from, you know, people on Tumblr who are mad that other people have quoted that review. And they're mad because they love that book. And it's like, it's okay to love something that, like, if something speaks to you, it speaks to you. Like, that's, mm-hmm. but it's, 
not okay to be angry at the people who are affected by something that they find deeply, deeply offensive. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why I was so mad. I mean, I... I I mean, you know, and I just don't think it's okay to be like, well, I love it. That means that if I love it, that means there's nothing problematic about it. Or I feel like sometimes they feel like I'm saying that I find something offensive and they're saying, well, that they take it really personally. Like, I'm saying I think they're offensive offensive for liking it. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, like, there are things that have happened in my life that haven't happened in your life and you can't really understand that yeah i mean and that's and that's just the way it is and, and it, you're not going to understand it because you're not me you know you know and it's why i was so i i again i actually feel kind of bad i didn't mean to sort of kind of be pick on anyone but why when i was responding to some comments about that last podcast episode you know i mentioned you know i called out specifically book riot who gets a lot of praise for their um, diversity content. And I just find that stunning because they're the same website. Honestly, they're the same website who went on that um, post they wrote about Eleanor and Park and how much the author of um, that post loved it, how much, how meaningful she found it. And there were a number of women, um, Asian American women who were really bothered and pushed back about why they found that book problematic. And their comments got deleted because they weren't being nice and it's just there's a lot of that especially around that particular book but in general where you know when people who have reason to be bothered by something are told they need to be nice about it and that really frosts me yeah that really rankles me a lot it really rankles me and it's like i don't i don't really see why i should have to say that i don't find something problematic to make other people feel feel better yeah I mean, and I think and I'm we not can, saying that you can't or shouldn't like it. And I think nobody is saying that, we're grown up know? enough that like someone can say like like I talk to my father-in-law about books a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and he is always surprised at how I like intensely despise Jonathan Franzen. This is a terrible example in a sense. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I just can't deal with someone who's that who's writing and persona is that big of a sexist asshole Mm -hmm. and he and I can have those conversations and he doesn't think I'm a horrible person or not being nice and he doesn't think that you're saying he's a sexist asshole or maybe like oh I see things that I see things that he doesn't see and that's kind of okay because we're all adults Mm mm-hmm I mean, that's... Yeah, but the fact that, I mean, these conversations just get shut down or the fact that people speak up about them is criticized, I find that to be a really big problem. And I felt, honestly, you know, I felt legitimately uncomfortable um, when I was on that panel at BloggerCon. um, I somehow, um, someone had asked a question about critical reviews and things like that and you know, how we feel about it and, you know, and how some publishers don't like it because they think it, they hurt sales or something like that. And I said, well, you know, honestly, the most critical review is also the most popular review we've ever had on the website. And it's the one that's actually been bought from affiliate links the most often. But I, but I didn't actually say what title it was because I was so uncomfortable even mentioning that book because people get so angry if you say that you think it's problematic. Yeah. And it's just weird. It's just so weird. 
Like, I know a lot of people, like, don't like John Green's work, and I don't get, like, intensely angry if people don't like his work when I actually do like his work. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes I don't understand, but that's also kind of okay. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to just, just say someone's it, feeling it is, is not legitimate. You know? It's weird. I mean, I don't know if it's just the way sort of internet culture has made it really hard to have these conversations or what. But it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, it sounds like, really. It sounds, it sounds yeah, like I mean, downer. I think in we're some just ways really the depressed about a basketball culture trait. allows these conversations to happen in some ways. But like I said, like I think sometimes these conversations are happening in a bubble that people don't realize because the people that they're listening to and the people that they follow are all these people that are having this conversation, and they don't realize that this conversation is not happening outside of that. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's so. Anyway. I mean, and I'm guilty of that, too, you know? I mean, I, there are some people I don't, there are some points of view that I'm not super interested in listening to on a daily basis when I'm scrolling through Twitter, so I don't follow them. Anyway, I don't know, so not I guess I don't... names, guys, I guess I don't really know. For me. I, I guess, I mean, we haven't really, you know, I always feel bad because I feel like we don't offer a lot of solutions, and I, I feel like in, in this instance, the solution isn't with us yeah. at all. Is with people who have power in the establishment, and that's who really needs to be taken to task. Um, you know, and I think people are really good about taking people to task when it comes to, like, panel representation and that sort of thing. But I think it's bigger and deeper in terms of the mm-hmm. real, um, you know, the, the, the publishing yeah, institution like the as a the big thing. Teams, you the know. agents. I yeah, mean, exactly. Who are they offering representation to? You know? That, I mean, these are these are important questions, and I think that you know that's that's something that we need to that needs to be pushed on more. Does anyone else agree with that? <laughs> yeah, I think anyway, that pretty much that pretty my much. Thoughts on yeah. That, so. Anyway, we will be back with another um, episode soon. Maybe I'm we sure. should find a more cheerful topic. We should. We should we find could, something. Like, discuss our enthusiasm about Tim Riggins or. Orphan I know. Black what am I something. feeling? What am I? Oh, I love Warp and Black. I have like two episodes left of this season. Uh, we're in. We're we just finished a sixth episode of the first season, and it's getting really, really, really good. The right show's now, so. so weird and. Good. Well, it's one of those shows that it's like it's so ridiculous, but it's like it's but also Tatiana Maslany is but so it's good. It's so good that. All the ridiculousness it doesn't is just matter. overpowered by how good it is. It doesn't and matter. How, in some ways, how smart it is and how it is cool very it is. Smart. You know what I mean? So it just, all of that just overpowers how ridiculous We've been... it is. You just like overlook it. You're just like, sure, that makes no sense. But oh, whatever, well. you know? Well, and she and is I kind so of felt awful. that way about Luther a couple of times. Although, oh, because I Luther love... is such a great show, and I'm just like, are they still playing? He has his, his hand on her throat, hanging her over a bridge in the middle of London, and nobody's really, there to yeah. witness it. Oh, he just pulled up and parked right next to that building in the middle of London. Yeah, like that's never, he ever had, happened He just ever. found a parking spot right there. Well, if he, would, if he was with me, he would, because you know my parking uh, mojo. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. But Luther doesn't have your parking. No, he, no I one mean, has my parking should, mojo. But, I mean, but that show was so good. Are they it's, still planning on remaking that? I hope not. They That's were, really were going to remake it on Fox. How can you, like... Okay, guys. Fox people, if you're listening, anybody. I'm like, sure they're not. Are you getting Idris Elba? No? Then it's not a legitimate option. Yeah. 
Nobody's really going to be interested in watching it without him. Uh, exactly. I mean. At least they uh, shouldn't be. That's, the end of that series just destroyed me. That was so good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we can talk about a lot. I've watched a lot of good things this year. Yeah. We should do a podcast about the things we watched. I mean, yeah. Maybe Next we time. Do, uh conversation not about the publishing industry yeah next, next time, time we'll talk about obviously what we've been not watching. very enthusiastic about them right i now, feel so. less and it sounds bad but i feel less enthusiastic about it after going to bea like i really do like just I'm sort so of sad well i really had a great time and i really enjoyed it and i learned a lot but i feel really disheartened sort of like top to bottom in a lot of ways even though i met a lot of really amazing people and yeah i you know you know, talk to some really awesome bloggers and I, some awesome readers and awesome librarians and awesome book festival organizers. I mean, it was so cool because there's so many different people in terms of what they do related to books. But like, I also felt like kind of defeated in terms of like things not ever changing. Yeah. So sorry guys. I suck. Anyway, talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the clear eyes, full shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at ClearEyesFullShelves.com or on Twitter at FullShelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, Clear Eyes, Full Shelves, Can't Lose.
Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, clear eyes, full shelves, can't lose.